interesting sometimes when you look at the worship order that's set out for you in a thing we use called planning center because you just kind of glance over it and here's what you read. Rhythm, trumpets, lowbrow, saxes on stage. And I thought, well, that's not very nice to call them lowbrow, Kirk. But it says low brass. Low brass. Aren't you glad that they were here this morning for us? And if, um, if, if you were kind of wondering uh, kind of what those little black things are, you know, when you play a horn, the mass doesn't quite work. You can't pucker up quite like you need to. So the mask actually becomes over top of the bell. Is that what it's called? The bell? Yes. I tell you, once in a while I get it right, you know? Um, have you been thinking about time like I've been thinking about time? It's Time Change Sunday next week, and that's always a reminder to you of just a couple of things, you know, that are going to happen. You, you always think about it like I do, need to set the clocks back, do all that kind of stuff, and and get ready for that. And, uh, you know, if you've ever had the unfortunate, you know, occurrence where you woke up and gotten somewhere on a time change Sunday, not realizing it was time change Sunday, it can mess with you a little bit uh, to show up and be the only one there early or to have missed everything and be late, uh, depending on if we're springing forward and falling back. I've been thinking a lot about time and time change. And, and one of the things that just has been stuck in my mind as we think about time change has actually been a commercial, and maybe you've seen it too, I, I believe it's for Western Governors University, it's WGU, and it, it has a couple of different variations to it, but it basically will have somebody in life trying to get something done, and a lot of times uh, they look exhausted uh, because they're working hard, and they've got family responsibilities and all those kinds of things, and the advertisement is for them to be able to go and get another degree and change their station in life in, in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And there's, there's a little tag at the end of it, and the way they sing it may not be that familiar to you, but it was, it was like it was stuck in my mind. It, it, it's this, normally a lady singing the times they are a change, and I'll spare you my singing. But, you know, it kind of gets you to thinking about the times they are changing. Well, what is that? Well, you know, that's, if you've lived long enough and you think back to this, and there's going to be a couple of references here today, and I feel like it's really weird that they're this way because... I actually don't own a Bob Dylan album, uh, but, but there's going to be a couple of Bob Dylan references today. It's kind of strange, but he actually wrote that song, The Times They Are a Change. Anybody remember that? 1964, you're showing your age if you do, uh, you know, and you remember what's funny about what he writes in that song is that you could play it today and it, it would kind of feel about, a, you know, similarly appropriate because it feels like the times they are a-changing, doesn't it? They were, it was a song of protest. And sometimes when we, we hear that song as it's kind of been co-opted for this ad, it's, it's more a song of hope. Like, you know, like the times they are changing and you're doing something that's changing these things. And I'm reminded that time changes all the time, right? I mean, it's constantly moving forward. And yet what happens is it's circular. There, there are things that just keep coming back up and they keep coming back up. And if you watch history, if you're a student of history, what you see over and over again, the same thing, right? It just kind of keeps happening and it happens in different cultures, different places, but it just happens. And, and I think we understand time, number one, is something that God gave us, right? Because because God ordained there to be time. Uh, God exists in eternity, and so he's outside of time and space in the way that we think about it and the way that we know it. 
So time exists in a way that, that we often kind of can't comprehend it from the viewpoint of God. I think that's a fair statement to say. God ordained days to be 24 hours. Now, what's funny about that is that I don't know that there's anywhere in Scripture that it actually talks about that God ordained it to be 24 hours. The invention of the clock is something that we came up with, right? But we use time to measure things. It's a measurement of a season, isn't it? I'm, I'm really glad this year that we're actually getting a fall. I love that. I love when we get four distinct seasons. I, I love when it's hot. I love when it's cold. I love the in-between. I love when the leaves actually change and don't just turn brown and die. I love that. I, I love when the, the blooms come out in the spring and it marks something. It's a measure for our lives. Time is also used for us as a marker for things in, in the way we go about work and school, isn't it? There are certain things that happen in school that you, you get used to maybe perhaps. There, there are seasons that mark the end of elementary school and then you go into middle school or what we used to call junior high. And then you go into high school and, and in high school you have these markers that take place. You know, there's proms and there's dances and there's football games and events and things that would happen that are markers on your timeline. Happens in work. It used to be that you worked somewhere and you retired. I, I remember when my grandfather got the gold watch, right? It was a marker. Something was changing. He was transitioning into something different. Internally, we feel the press of time. There's this thing called a circadian rhythm in your life, right? That, that, that your body kind of intuitively knows that it needs to be on a sleep cycle, on a wake cycle. And if you've ever traveled overseas and been on a plane for, for very long, you know that it gets very messed up, doesn't it? When, when you don't know what day it is and, and you feel like you should be asleep and yet the, the sun is shining. Kind of messes with you. There's three passages in the scripture that are going to inform what we think about over the next few weeks. And so if you would, I want you to open up your Bibles and I want you to kind of be ready to do some turning with me today. And I want to just prepare you for something. We're going to spend a lot of time reading the Bible today and, and that's going to inform a lot of what we do. And, and before you say like, oh, you're just going to read the Bible. People have done that for years. Just be glad I'm not going to make you stand like they did in the Old Testament, read the entire book of the law right? That's a lot. But we're going to read a lot of this. And over the next few weeks, we're going to go back and we're going to think about what this means for us. If you think about it, there, these three main passages of scripture kind of stand out. Ecclesiastes 3 kind of speaks to us. And, and again, that's kind of that weird Bob Dylan reference, right? Because some of you thought the birds wrote Ecclesiastes 3. <laughs> Solomon wrote it. But to every season, there's a time and a place for that activity under heaven it talks about. First Chronicles 12 will talk to us about these men who understood the times in which they lived in. And how they were wise to understand the times in which they lived in. And were able to make decisions based on those times. Matthew 24. Jesus speaks about this when the, the disciples ask him, when are all these things going to take place when the world's going to end and we're going to see the destruction of the temple? And, and what will it be like? When will these things happen? And Jesus gives us this great paradox. Here's what you're living in and here's what's going to happen. And yet, all time is not going to be revealed to you. Because there's just certain things that not even the son knows, only the father. And he's not telling. God will in a moment 
declare that time on earth is over and send his son back. And so I want us to see that and I want us to understand that in light of the time we're living in now and the time that we have in the future perhaps should the Lord tarry. Ecclesiastes 3, I just want to read the first eight verses with you this morning. There's an occasion for everything, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to throw stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search, and a time to count as lost." A time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to be silent, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And if you're listening to the birds, they say, I swear it's not too late. What does that mean for us? What does it mean when we hear these words read from the scripture? There's a a rhythm to life, the scripture says, and there's an activity. And if you notice, some of these activities are not very pleasant. Tearing things, throwing things away, refraining from embracing, a time for war, a time to kill. Some of these things are not comfortable. Some of these things are not enjoyable. A time to die. But what you notice about these things is that there are these 14 couplets that are given of these things that are opposed to one another, and yet it says about them that every one of them is good and proper in its own time. It also kind of reminds me as I look at this that there are only two of these things that you absolutely have no control over. Birth and death. Birth and death. No control. Ask a mother who's one week past her due date. And she'll lament the fact that there's no control over the date of a birth. And she's ready for that baby to be born, right? Ask someone who has lost someone who died too young. Or someone who's suffering under disease for too long. There's a time and a place for these things. And these things that are even unpleasant for us, things like COVID-19, things like global pandemics. Somebody once said, I don't think this is from the Lord. I disagree. God uses everything in its time for his purposes. I want you to hear what the scripture says about that in verse 11. He's made everything appropriate in its time. He's also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work that God has done from beginning to end. So as we look at these things and we begin to understand the activities that we do and the things that we participate in and things that seem to come into our lives, God has a purpose for them and God uses them and he pushes us through time with these things and they become markers of time for us. Turn to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about time in the future as he gives us an answer for the signs of the end of the age as the disciples begin to ask him, when can we know that you're coming? How will we know that this is going to take place? What will be the signs of the time? And in verse 4 of Matthew 24, Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. 
You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you, these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these events are the beginnings of the labor pains. The beginnings. I think we're living in the labor pains right now. I believe, as every generation of believers has believed, that the return of Christ is imminent and closer than it's ever been. And when we see these things that are taking place in our world, we have to frame them biblically and it will lead us, and we'll talk about this next week, it leads us to understand because the Lord's coming back, there's an urgency to the way that we're living and a responsibility to the way that we're living. It becomes very important for us to see that. Finally, I want to read for you 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 32. David was assembling his kingdom. The transfer from Saul to David was taking place. And it starts listing these people, these troops, armed people that had come to David who were turning over the kingdom of Saul to David. And it just has this very, very strange line in it. Your Bible may say these men of Issachar in verse 32. Or if you're reading the CSB like I'm reading this morning, it says from the Issacharites the men of Issachar, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. What a vague little reference, but an important one because it describes people who understood the days in which they were living. It's very easy for us to understand the days that have happened in the past. It's very easy for us to make kind of these pseudo prophecies about the days that are coming. And I'm trying not to do that as we go through this series. I don't have a lot of prophecy for you. I don't know that I'm a prophet, but I do believe that the scripture informs for us how we should live. And this call on our lives to understand the days in which we're living and respond to them. For us to understand the days in which we're living and respond to them. It becomes very important in light of what takes place, not just in our little church, not just in our little city, not just in our state, not just even in our country, although what takes place is very important in our country. It affects us, but what we do here affects the world. I want you to think about it in terms of what's going to happen in the next two weeks in our country. When we look at our nation, a couple of things have to just jump out at you right now. Today we find ourselves two weeks away from an election that really does feel like it may determine the course of our nation for years to come in a way that elections in the past have not. You know that there are elections and then there are elections, right? It just feels that way. And maybe it's because everybody's so stinking amped up right now. We're just crazy about this stuff. The difficulty lies with two competing visions for America that couldn't be more different. While I'm not here to tell you how to vote or who to vote for specifically, and we're not gonna be talking about candidates and parties. You know, we talked about that four years ago. I made the first political endorsement I've ever made, myself, of course. 
wanted you to vote for me. Thanks, none of you, for doing it. I really appreciate that. Although somebody, I, I kid you not, not for president, but uh, somebody did tell me that I got a write-in vote this year, and I really appreciated that. Uh, if you want to do that and your conscience leads you, please, by all means. I'd actually rather have you donate to the super PAC, though, because I can spend that after the election. So that is what it is. I won't tell you who to vote for. I won't exactly tell you how to vote, but I do want to examine the way this morning that we think. I do want us to examine the way this morning that we go to the scripture and that we allow the scripture to inform our lives rather than co-opting Jesus for a political party. Can I tell you just one of the most frustrating moments of my life was to be a college student and have a college professor say Jesus was a Democrat. Jesus isn't a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He transcends all of that. He's not a Tory. He's not a Whig. He's not a whatever you want him to be. He's so much bigger than all of that. And we don't get the luxury this morning of co-opting Jesus for what we want him to do for us. It just doesn't work that way. I'm afraid what we see in our country and in the church is that we're asking the wrong questions. And if you ask the wrong questions, you may get the right answer to the wrong question, but it doesn't inform what you need to do. Here's what I mean by that. If you remember from the story of Saul, whom I just mentioned, how he lost his kingdom, Saul was given very specific instructions on what he was to do. There was a country that he was to go to war with and he was to take nothing from them, none of the spoils of war. Everything was to be destroyed. He did that almost. He kept some of the good stuff. He kept the king alive so that he could kind of show him off because that was kind of the tradition of the day. You show the king off and make him a spectacle and that kind of thing. But do you remember that when the prophet came to him, he said, what is this I hear? Is that the bleeding of sheep in my ear? Oh, well, we kept the stuff so that we could sacrifice to the Lord. Good answer, wrong question. God didn't ask if you were going to sacrifice God told you specifically what to do and you chose to disobey the Lord and co-opt it so that you can make it spiritual. That's what we're doing. Here's how this works. I grab an issue that's very important to me and I go selective mining in the scripture. When I go selective mining in the scripture, what that means is I grab the one verse that seems to back up whatever position I take and make a whole life out of it. Wrong. Can't do it. The scripture can't help you in this election if the scripture hadn't been part of your life for the last few years. It will not help you. You can't selectively proof text the scripture. Find one verse that you think supports your position and run through it. The scripture has to be the thing that is embedded in our lives and the Holy Spirit draws those things out and helps us in a situation that I can't imagine could be any more difficult for us to try to figure out how we're going to vote right now. I've already voted, so I feel better about it. <laughs> how you're going to vote. Go stand in line for an hour and 15 minutes. It's fantastic. I, I, I really wanted to do this and I was just a coward. I was standing in line and I thought, I wonder if I could get everybody to do row, row your boat in a round. I mean, like, you know, row, row, you know, I just, but I, I was afraid that I would start and it'd just be me out on the limb, you know, sawing that bad boy off, you know? 
You can't watch the cues from the culture and figure out how a country should be led. I don't know how many of you watched the debate the other night. At least it was a debate. I was a fan of the mute button. It was good to be able to hear people talk. But here's the thing that I'm reminded of. How many times, and pick either candidate that you want to hear, and, and, and here's what you heard, my plan. Well, what is your plan? What's my plan? Here's what debates are. Don't be fooled by this. Debates are like standing at a high school presidential debate where somebody says, no homework and free pizza. They have no power to do any of these things because we have checks and balances, right? You, you have to be able to work through these things together. You, you can't stand on an island. And so all the promises that are made by a candidate, they're figments of an imagination, right? Here's why. I, do, I, just, give you, I just give you one here. I mean, I just give you one. Read my lips. No new taxes. But the world changed and the economy was tanking and those promises can't always be kept, can they? It's just not always possible to do what you think you're going to be able to do until the pressure of life starts to take hold of you. Here's what I mean. I would imagine that George W. Bush had a very different idea about what his presidency would be marked by until 9-11 happened, Right? There are certain things that you promise to do, but events conspire against you. Why? Because there's a time and a place for everything under heaven. And it happens that way. I think that President Obama, with very good intentions, really wanted to rid us of Guantanamo Bay. He wasn't able to do it. You can't do everything that you promise to do. And that ought to be a signal for believers this morning. That ought to be a signal for us that as we go to the scripture, for us to interpret the days and the times in which we're living, we have to have the scripture invade our lives and us then look through the scripture at the world in which we're living and make decisions in an imperfect world with imperfect people who have been chosen to lead us by imperfect parties because Jesus isn't over every one of them. That's the way that it goes. For us to understand the times in which we're living, we have to ask the correct questions. The incorrect question could be as simple as one offered by a religious leader last week. He said, I believe people should be happy. Find for me in the scripture where God talks to you and I about our happiness. I would rather you replace that with, I believe God wants us to be holy. Holy. What's going to happen in our country? After the debate, I went to Fox News and CNN just to see who won the debate. No smarter today than I was yesterday in terms of that. But as I was preparing this week for this message, something happened. God gave me a news flash for you 
and for me, and I can tell you what's going to happen in the coming days in our country. And it comes from the book of Jeremiah. Would you turn there with me? Chapter 18. Jeremiah had been given the unenviable task of being a prophet in the nation's decline and ultimate ruin. Nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news. Nobody wants to be the one who presides over the ship that's sinking. But essentially, that's where Jeremiah found himself. He struggled with it. And God gave him a word. And I believe this is a word for us this morning. It's a word for our nation And I'm going to tell you, this is the news. You don't need to turn to Fox. You don't need to go to CNN, USA Today, the Tennessean. This is it. Jeremiah 18, verse 6. House of Israel, can I not treat you as the potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. You ready? Just like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. At one moment, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will uproot, tear down, and destroy it. However, if that nation about which I have made the announcement turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the disaster I had planned to do to it. At another time, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. However, if it does what is evil in my sight by not listening to me, I will relent concerning the good I had said I would do to it. So now say to the men of Judah and to the residents of Israel, this is what the Lord says, look, I'm about to bring harm to you and make plans against you. Turn now each from your evil way and correct your ways and your deeds. That's the news. If we think for a moment that God doesn't care about the evil that exists in our country, we're fooling ourselves. 40 plus million babies slaughtered. To say that God doesn't care about that is to not understand the mind and the heart of God. To use people as political talking points, as if they don't matter. For instance, large blocks of people like immigrants, to say that that doesn't matter and they're just a political talking point misses the heart of God when he says... Be careful how you treat the resident alien among you. To not be concerned about the well-being of those around us misses the heart of God. And when we say that we're this shining lamp to the world, I think we're fooling ourselves. We're like brass that has become tarnished. The only way for it to regain its luster 
is found individually. I want you to notice this. The Lord deals collectively with nations, but he's always speaking to the individuals of the nation. And this is a fascinating kind of paradox, isn't it? Because he's talking to the nation that it's about to be run out of town. Uh, Jerusalem, Judea, they're, they're gonna be conquered and sent away. Just a few chapters over in the book of Jeremiah. And yet he says, this is what the Lord says. Look, I'm about to bring harm to you, make plans against you. Turn now each from your evil way and correct your ways and your deeds. God speaks at other times and he says, if my people who are called by my name, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and repent, There's a collective repentance that takes place, but collective repentance doesn't start without individualistic repentance, without an individual commitment to walk humbly and holy before the Lord God Almighty. It doesn't work. And so when we look at this, we have to understand that before we worry about the next conspiracy issue or or the next social issue or, or, or the next policy that's going to be brought forward, we have a greater issue in our country and it's the issue of wickedness. And we have a part to play in that. How do we do that? We go before the Lord. And we begin saying, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way within me. Lord, search me. Start with me. If I have said what you have called evil is good, forgive me, Lord. Change my heart to your ways. You see, if we understand this properly, we understand that we can't ask the wrong questions and get the right answers because all knowledge comes from the Lord. And, and if we're understanding wisdom and we want to understand the times in which we're living in, we understand that the, the beginning of that wisdom is, is from our knowing the Lord, the fear of God, not the fear of man, Not trying to go along with a party. Not trying to to just say that this little issue over here is my issue and everything has to fall in line. with. No, we have to understand the days in which we're living. These days are evil. So we're told to redeem the time because the days are evil. Making the most of the time. Doing something with the time. So before we worry about what's going to happen over here or what's going to happen over here, we ought to be worried about what's happening right now. Here. When we do that and we begin to repent and not attach ourselves to an issue or a group of people, but to the Lord, God begins to do something amazing. Jesus said, that our light would be like a city set on a hill for all to see. When you're in the dark, light draws you to it. You ever notice how that happens? Somebody's walking down the road and they've got a flashlight and everybody kind (laughs) of huddles up right on them, right? They don't walk too far behind. They don't walk far out on the right outside of the beam of that light. We want to be together. We want to be able to walk in that. It's an attractive thing for us to see that happen. That's our nation, but our church. 
Our church has a calling to live holy before the Lord, not to live as Republicans and Democrats, not even to live as independents, but to live as Christ followers. To live holy before the Lord, trusting him for the times in which we live. What does that mean? It means that God may do as he did in the book of Jonah and relent on sending judgment as people repented. It may mean that he does not. Our job remains the same. Our calling remains the same, to live holy before the Lord, trusting him for the times in which we live. No man, no woman determines the times in which they live. They do do determine their response to the times in which they live by living with faith. Our responsibility in understanding those times means that we draw near to the Lord and in his word and in prayer. If we spent less time posting the latest garbage article on a social media platform that, depending on what you think about, it's going to censor that anyway. If we spent less time there and reading that and being worked up about that and talking about that, We might have more time to spend in the word. We might have more time to to find out what the father's heart is for an election. We might find out what God has to say to us about the days in which we're living because there's nothing new under the sun. Pandemics aren't new, folks. People have been living with those for years. We're not the first believers to do it. Tough times are not new. Political conspiracy and upheaval and turmoil is not new. That's America, you know, from the very beginning. Our responsibility is to draw near the Lord. But our mission is to proclaim the gospel. Today, we've invited you to be part of something that's massive, We've invited you to be part of moving the mission back out into the streets. I told our staff this this past week. Over the last seven months, I couldn't be more proud of how they have handled uh, a pandemic. I'm just, I'm very grateful for how they have done that, how they have worked in that. Uh, I mean, so many good things have come out of that. I I, I could just go on and on and on and on. You know what happens, though, after a while is that you run the risk of being a one-talent church. You know what a one-talent church is? Circle the wagons and bury that junk in the sand because Jesus is coming back. Don't worry about increasing those things that God has given us. Don't worry about the mission. Today signals something strong for us. Mission goes forward. The Great Commission doesn't stop because we're in a pandemic or an election cycle or anything else. And today, people are gonna get a little box laid on their doorstep that has a gospel track in it. It has some resources in them that hopefully will help them stay alive if they they, they do the things that we're asking them to do and check their smoke detectors and, and take the Nashville Fire Department brochure and look through that. Those are all things that are important. 
but this is an important signaling moment for you as a church that we're not going to be a one-talent church that buries the stuff in the sand and sits on it. We're going forward. We're moving forward. We're moving forward in light of, uh, of difficult days. We're moving forward in light of the fact that this is going to be this way, we believe, for a while. It's not changing overnight. Uh, somebody said to me the other day, day after the election, we won't have to worry about any pandemic. I wish that was true. Wouldn't that be great? I don't know that that's going to be true. I, I don't think it's going to be true. But I'd love to be wrong on that one. Wouldn't you? That'd be one conspiracy. I'd be like, yeah, great, good. Let's all move on. Nobody will be sick anymore, right? I mean, that would be great. However, here's the problem. If this hangs around, what are we going to do? How then will we live? How are we going to move forward? How are we going to tell people that we're holy and set apart and that God has a plan for their lives and that the gospel is an invitation for them to come with brokenness and leave healed and whole? How will we do that? We have to find ways to do that. This is something that we had intended to do in April. God set that aside. We weren't even a meeting in church then. I think the timing of it is perfect today. The timing is perfect because it reminds us and the world that there's something bigger than right now. Can I remind you of that for a minute? There's something way more bigger than right now. Even the next two weeks, or if you want to look at it, the next four and years and change, whatever it would be that the next president is elected. There's something way more bigger than that. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And for those who are in Christ, we'll be caught up with him. But for those who are not, think about your neighbors right now. Think about that sweet person that lives across the street from you whose car never leaves the house ever. Not just during pandemic time, but it never leaves the house on a Sunday morning because they have no relationship with Christ. And if they die, they'll spend eternity separated from him. Do you believe that? If you don't believe it, go home after this, eat some food, kick back, turn on NFL football, sleep, enjoy the day. But if you believe it, if you believe that what Jesus said is true, then we have a calling and a mission that must go forward. We have no choice. It's the only thing I believe that is the hope for a nation. You'll hear some more about this, but uh, this coming Sunday, we're going to spend some extended time in prayer as a congregation after our services, just on our own, but we'll be calling you to that. We called you to it earlier this year. Half a million people prayed for renewal and revival in our country. We're gonna do it again. It feels like a fitting time because it reminds us it's not an election. It's a salvation that changes a country. And apart from a move of God on this country, there's no hope. But I still believe there's a God that saves. I still believe that there's a God who, who has a plan for us that includes being a light to the world and he'll draw people to him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in these days, as we think about the times in which we're living in, as we think about these things over the next few weeks, we're praying today, Lord, 
that you would do something. Father, with these homes that are going to receive these boxes today, our prayer is that you would move and that next week people will be watching. They'll hear the gospel. That next week, Father, people will be in attendance with us who would not have normally been in attendance. Father, help us to ask the right questions. How we can be holy, not happy. Lord Jesus, let it start with us. We come before you right now and we ask you to forgive us of our wickedness individually. Father, make us holy. Search us. Try us. Father, we would ask that in your mercy you would give our nation time, one more chance to repent. And Father, that you would do a work in our nation. Not that a church could take credit for it, not that a speaker could take credit for it, Father, but that you would do it. That you would draw men and women, boys and girls, into salvation like we haven't seen in years. Change our hearts. Make us wise as we go through this election process. Father, help us to to really vote our conscience with the aid of the Holy Spirit, drawing wisdom from the scriptures to help us understand the days in which we're living. God, give us hope in a future. Remind us today of the eternal glory that awaits for us in our real home. As Patton mentioned last week, where our citizenship truly lies. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.